0: Last Thursday, the day the Ryan Tuberty pay scandal broke, the questions for RTE started. In the week since, definitive answers have proven very hard to come by. Sessions at two Oroctus committees this week were supposed to clear things up. At the media committee on Wednesday, blame for the fiasco was put squarely on former RTE Director-General D. Forbes.
1: These transactions
0: were approved by the Director-General. It's a
1: culture that's in there that accepts that... Well, That's approved by the DG, so I'm
0: not going to talk about it. But RTE's performance at that committee met with plenty of criticism. Minister Catherine Martin has said effectively, more transparency, please, than yesterday. The Public Accounts Committee on Thursday was the bigger beast of the two. Politicians peppered RTE top brass with questions about governance, finances and salaries. Some found the questions more difficult than others.
1: I don't know what my exact salary is off the top of my head. I know, but I can give you... I, no, I can give exact you this outrageous.
0: is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, RTE at the Public Accounts Committee. Did our national broadcaster give a true account of itself? I talked to political correspondent Jennifer Bray. Jennifer, there's an expression in the theatre world that... A bad dress rehearsal makes a great first night. So on Wednesday, ortie was called before the Media and Arts Oroctus Committee. That to me is the dress rehearsal. And then on Thursday, they were called before the big guns, the pack. Tell me what was the reaction to Wednesday's appearance?
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting phrase. And actually, I think it's, it's very apt realistically for, for today's hearing. So what happened today effectively was the public accounts committee hearing, um, where ORT senior executives, T chiefs came in before TDs effectively to answer questions on the uh, misrepresentation of payments to Ryan Tuberty over the last number of years. Now, we know, like you said, there was a committee hearing on Wednesday um, and the media committee, that is. And I think there was a feeling after that committee that the, the questions hadn't been adequately answered, that there was a bit of perhaps reluctance there to get into some of the nitty gritty around what had actually transpired, how this happened effectively. Um, and you can tell that there was that frustration in the world of politics um, reflected in a statement made by the Minister for Arts and Media, Catherine Martin, on Wednesday night when she talked about how it was vitally important that when Orti um, bosses went in before the, the pack today, uh, on Thursday, um, that they engage in as tr- transparent a manner um, as possible. And I think the implication there really was that they hadn't, that they hadn't necessarily engaged in it the manner that perhaps she had been expected expecting and other politicians had also been expecting. So they came in today and I think from the very get-go, I mean from, from the moment they sat down there was a change in tone. As a trained accountant and a former financial controller, I am appalled. The person who set the tone, um a first was that was the chair of the RT board shuni Relic. As to how payments were recorded and presented in the RTE accounts,
1: what was the motivation here? It appears to me that this
2: was an act designed to deceive. She talked about how this was, in her words, she said, an act designed to deceive. They were really, really strong words, very strong opening statement for her. And I think that set the tone for the rest of the hearing.
0: The hearing went on, it started at half. One went on way past five o'clock. You've boiled it down to 10 key facts that we learned on Thursday. The first one concerns D Forbes.
2: Yeah, so before we even kind of got into those opening statements that I mentioned, the, the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, Brian Stanley, in his preamble, um, he talked about how he wanted uh, witnesses to know, and I suppose the wider public watching, because I'm sure there are plenty of people who are watching um, that hearing, um, about how the, the committee was soon to seek these powers of compelability. Um, so basically a committee can do this. There are procedures, uh, under which they get access to it. Um, and that basically the pack is going to do this. The long and the short of it is that they want the former director general, D Forbes, to appear when it is medically appropriate to do so, or when she is feeling well enough, when she is, when she is physically able. So that was the first thing that he said. And I think it's, it's really, it's, it's an important thing that we learned because, there's a lot being said about D Forbes. There's a lot being said about her role in this. There was even, and we can get into this a little bit later, members of the RTE executive board who were talking about things that in the, this is their account now that she said to them about how this happened mm. about. So one side you know, of the story. One side of the story. And mm. I think there, there are some politicians, such as I think Labour's Alan Kelly, who believe that if she did appear, before the Public Accounts Committee or another committee that perhaps she would have her own version of events that maybe wouldn't reflect so well on the board. Uh, They were the words that he used in the Public Accounts Committee. So it is important, I think, and politicians are very keen to hear from her. And Leo Varadkar was in Brussels. And he was also asked about this and he pointed out that there are procedures now because there weren't always, we know that from past um, committee hearings, there are procedures in place for witnesses to be treated fairly. You know, we've got rest breaks and, and and you know, actual time limits now. So so that was the first thing we learned.
0: Okay. So the second thing was that the RTE Executive Board is going to be overhauled or reconstituted. And I, I should just say the Executive Board, that's that's the senior managers. That's not the board, as we would normally call a board. That's the senior managers. Isn't that correct?
2: That's right. Yeah, that's the senior managers Um and many of the people who I suppose we've been hearing from over the last couple of days. Um, the interesting thing about this, I think, is that when Orti first came out with their statement last week, I think it was, about, you know, what had happened, etc., they almost made it out that the, the blame here actually didn't land on the executive board. You know, they talked about how members of the board had never had enough information to fully know or fully discern what actually was going on with these payments. And today, the interim deputy uh, uh, director general, Adrian Lynch, he said that the board failed in its collective responsibility in the events that led up to this.
1: It is true that the executive board failed in its collective responsibility to act as a collective and failed to ensure good governance in this matter. I've spoken to Kevin Backhurst last night and I understand from Kevin that his first task uh, when he begins on July the 10th will be a complete reconstitution of the executive board of RTÉ.
2: So to me, that was a change in tack, And also we know that the government are initiating their own review. Um, the terms of reference are being developed for that. And I think that review will also look at the governance in RTÉ, perhaps on a wider scale and look at whether it's fit for purpose. And in relation to that, It
0: was the first time we heard the name of the new director general mentioned in these in this committee, and that's Kevin Backhurst. So we were given the impression, very much from Adrian Lynch, that he'd spoken to Kevin Backhurst last night, and this there's going to be a new regime, there's going to be a new sheriff in town. That was sort of the 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 atmosphere that of that conversation. I thought.
2: Definitely. And I think the new uh, director general, Kevin, Kevin Backhurst, is um, arriving into, into quite the scene, really, isn't he, realistically? Yeah. Cool. He'll have many things to do. And one of the things that actually came up was it'll be his job to draw up this register of interests for presenters so that there's more a transparency, I suppose, in 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 what interest they, they hold, um, whether that be company-wise or elsewhere. Now, the third
0: point was about salaries. Um the uh, Orti has committed to publish the salaries beyond the top 10. Like they were drag kicking and screaming some years ago to publish the top 10 salaries. And in fact, actually, this is a lot about the the mispublication of the top ten salaries that Ryan Tuberty's salary is not published correctly. That's actually the kernel of this, and I felt that was quite lost in the in the Iraq committee grilling. But anyway, so Junior uh, Ali said, "Yes, we're going to look at publishing more salaries. Tell me a bit about that." And then one absolutely toe curling moment involving the CFO.
2: Yes, so like you said, it's always been around the top ten earners. That's been the focus. Now what politicians and the public too want to know is what about people beyond the top 10? What about, you know, the other staff maybe who have kind of escaped that net, that kind of binary term, the top 10? Um, and it now looks as though pretty much, it's pretty much guaranteed, I think, that those further salary figures will be published. The chair of the board said she she actually undertook to do it um and she said she would do it and as soon as is practically possible she wanted to extract that information and publish it effectively and this this was in 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 response to questions from Fianna Fáil TD James O'Connor so there was that kind of conversation then there's this really awkward moment that you referenced
1: for for, for the record and much are you paid as as chief finance officer
2: so I ran halfway on the committee so the chief financial officer Richard Collins was being asked. Uh, I think it was by Sinn Féin's John Brady, what his salary was. Now, now this is in the context of them already saying, it's all going to be published, you know. Um, and he paused and he he said something along the lines of, it's private.
1: <laughs> I think that's a private matter, you know. I think we're going to disclose our... our yes. We're going to disclose our... our we've been sorry, asked to dis- sorry, just, just, just want to intervene here for a minute.
2: And I think he looked to the chair, Brian Stanley, for reassurance that he was, you know, safe and not answering. But actually, Brian Stanley said, well... These figures are going to be published. It's going to be a matter of record within hours, probably. So, yeah, you should absolutely answer the question.
1: I, expect you to, I would expect you to answer that question.
2: And he seemed kind of momentarily stunned.
1: I don't know what my exact salary is off the top of my head. Of and then
2: he seemed to suggest that he wasn't fully sure... What his salary was, which, of course, led to the obvious comment from John Brady. It's absolutely
1: outrageous. outrageous. Chief, Chief yeah. Financial Officer of RT can't tell us what he's paid. Chief supposed
2: shop? to buy that? Um, now, eventually, he did say that he believed his salary is around 200,000 with a 25,000 euro car allowance on top of that, to which John Brady said that was extraordinary. But it was just, a you know, the reason why it was so awkward was because we're having, you know, this committee about transparency around money. <laughs> and then we have this moment where that just for a second looked like it wasn't going to happen. So seems like already are talking the talk. They need to kind of get easier at, at walking that walk, I think.
0: I think it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that of all the people who were questioned today, he had the toughest time or rather he handled it in a way that seemed like he was having the toughest time.
2: There's no doubt about it. There was another kind of very interesting moment um, involving him when we basically heard TDs try to get into the, the issue of these 75,000 euro top ups. Why were they labelled on invoices as consultancy fees? How did this happen? Um, what was the reason given, uh, given for this? You know, because that gets to the crux of the whole thing, really, the secrecy that we're talking about. Um, and we heard terms of, of such as concealment used in the hearing. So that's not even you or I kind of putting our hypo- hypothesis on it. These are the words being used in this committee. So anyway, he was asked about this and he recalled his conversation that he had. The auditors have basically come in, spotted this payment and said, we're not happy.
1: On the 7th of March, Deloitte's approached me, uh, which would be normal. At the end of an audit, I wouldn't be involved in the detail of the audit, but at the end of the audit, if there were issues outstanding, um, they would approach me. So uh, they raised the issue of these invoices there, and they asked me what they were for. Um, I undertook then to speak to the Director General about them. I asked the Director General what they were for. Uh, she told me there were uh, consultancy invoices relating to Noel Kelly Management. And I relayed that back to Deloitte. Right. So when she said there were
2: consultancy invoices relating to... Consultancy
1: invoices relating to services provided during COVID.
2: He said, I can't remember exactly how she explained it. It was to do with how RTE was structured during COVID-19. It was advice that D Forbes had received around how RTE structured itself and presented itself during COVID-19. And I relayed back what I was told. She appeared, she gave what appeared to be a plausible explanation. Then he was questioned further by Brian Stanley. Uh, You know, did this not ring alarm bells? Brian Stanley was asking him and he said, I was concerned, but I knew she had a close relationship with the agent. Um... And that
0: sounds worse. That makes yeah, everything worse. Yeah, I mean, worse, it was plausible on one
2: hand, and, and then it was concerning on the on the on the other. It was it was a difficult, too difficult kind of um, exchanges for him with those with those two different TDs. Um, and this, I think, this one thing, along with kind of new information about the barter account, I think this one thing will be picked out as probably the most interesting moment in the committee because the question is, who decided to label this a consultancy fee when that's not what it was? And we, we probably know why, but who? And we still don't know. We still don't know whether it's the agent or somebody else or D Forbes or someone else beyond that. We don't know. We don't have a definitive answer. Also, you mentioned now
0: the barter account. And goodness knows anybody who watched the committee, all, you know, five plus hours of it, we all heard that word barter account very, very many times. But they didn't get to the nub of the thing that a presenter's salary was being paid by a sponsor public service on a public service broadcaster that is that is extraordinary and that was not tackled.
2: No it, it wasn't and I agree there's a lot of confusion around what a barter account is. We heard a lot of new detail about it today. Top figure basically is that around 1.5 million but well sorry between 1 million and 1.5 million has gone through this account in the last 10 years um, and then we have our our old friend the Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins again um, kind of been questioned about this, you know, what is it used for? Um, how, you know, and like you said, still not kind of getting into the issue of the payment, the 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 salary top-up coming from effectually from there. And he talked about how it, it seemed to him that sometimes it was used for expenses that came up in the commercial department that had not been budgeted for it. that raised some eyebrows because you can understand why it's the public accounts committee, you know. Um now, Finnegale's column Brophy, he labelled it as a, his. Now these are his words, a, a slush fund. Then I got it from
1: Black's Law Dictionary, a reserve of money held secretly by a company that had no accountability for its use. That's exactly what you're talking about. This is a slush fund. So let's stop talking about it being a barter account.
2: And then we had Geraldine O'Leary, the head of commercial and RTE, was then asked about, you know, give us some examples of things that have come and gone in and out of this account and there were a number of examples given including uh, I think it was 111,000 euros to bring people and clients to the the Rugby World Cup, 138,000 euro for, for 10 RFU tickets and 26 grand to bring people to the Champions League final in 2019 and there was a lot of reaction to, to this, and I there was also a kind of not throwaway comment, but kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. Richard Collins, at uh, the 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 CFO, talking about how Orty is actually taking advice about whether it's a, a tax liability about how that barter account was used. But I agree with you that the most important thing is why this account or or how wasn't raised. But if you go back to the Grant Thornton report, if you go back to the earlier reports from earlier this week, it seemed to be that the reason it was taken out of this account is because there just wasn't a budget for it anywhere else.
0: Okay, we heard that the the phrase, the talent, to describe the top 10, the stars, that, that's going to be binned. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, um, I will admit this is not a bugbear of mine. I just, I, I every time I hear the phrase "the talent," it just makes me kind of cringe or something. I mean, like I'm, I, I do believe that these presenters are and and, and people who do these, you know, I think these often important and amazing jobs. And um, I do believe they are talented, but, you know, talent comes in many forms. But anyway, it's a phrase that's used and it's used particularly between agents to de- delineate between who's who's asking for what and who's getting what. what's so, the so talent, there's their agent, etc. It's commonly used. Um, but... The chair of the board, Shewani Ralik, she, in her opening statement, she was making this point that that it's 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 often used, you know, uh, she was saying words matter. And the term as it is currently used reinforces a them and us culture in
1: RTE. It implies some have greater worth than others. The
2: first step in cultural change is to consign this term to the dustbin. So she said she wants to consign it to the dustbin and I was really hardened, and, and I noted had the tweet from Ortiz Education Correspondent, is also the chair of the NUJ Dublin Broadcasting Branch, Emma O'Kelly, and she said to us in the newsroom, the talent we are concerned with includes the young journalists who have left the organisation in recent months seeing no future within Ortiz. So that speaks to that disconnect as well.
0: We also heard a lot about the month of March and various dates in that, and I thought there were times that some of the committee members were trying to do a bit of a gotcha, that you know... Did and at the and the heart of this is did Ryan Tuberty know this was all coming down the track when it seemingly seemingly out of the blue he said this is my last year at the Late Late so so talk to us about that
2: yeah when Ryan Tuberty stepped down as the host of Late Late Show I remember he was kind of talking about how you know the glare of the spotlight and and he'd done it for so long and he was kind of ready to move on uh, to a new project and uh, by the way nobody has any evidence that I can see right now that sort of disproves that but now this possibility has been floated.
1: I was trying to work out the day the director of content told me that Ryan Tuberty had come into his office to tell him that he was stepping down so I went back and checked my email because I had sent him an email with a list of potential presenters Uh, and that was on um, I think it was March 13th so in my mind I didn't realize that actually the CFO had had contact from the orders on whatever was, March the 10th or whatever. So just to clarify that. Okay, so Ryan Tuberty could well have been um, informed by somebody that this process um, had, or these concerns had been raised. Based, uh, have, yep. based on the information from okay. yesterday, Did, it's, it's, it's possible.
2: It's possible based on the evidence that he's seen that that is what happened. That's not definitive that that's the reason why, but I guess this is a question that's going to be asked. And you know what? If Ryan Tuberty, as many people want him to, if he goes before a committee or more than likely what he would choose to do probably is release a statement, maybe go on a show like the Clare Byrne show or, or somewhere like that. If you choose to answer questions about that, I think that will be a big question because it it, it does change the colour of it somewhat, which kind of brings me to my next point, actually, that, you know, I I think... Of all the things that we learned today, which actually was a lot more than yesterday, I would contend, and certainly in a much more by and large open and transparent manner, there are still so many questions left, and I really do believe that the only people who can answer them are actually D Forbes, Ryan Toberty, and his agent. It would be a very dramatic step to take to compel um, D Forbes. It seems that that's the the route they're going down. Sometimes when they they use that threat the person in question can just decide, fine. I just don't know what the personal situation of D Forbes is. um, But I do believe certainly while it would make this story last longer in the news cycle and it would definitely keep it on the front pages, which I'm sure Orti do not want, um, I think it would be important because otherwise we just have these these version of events that we hear and not the final pieces of the jigsaw.
0: And speaking of contracts, finally, can we talk about... Patrick Kilty, because before the committee started, he came out, he issued a statement about what his salary is. So
2: talk us through that. Yeah. So the the, the new Late Late Show host, um, now he's taken a little bit of flack in the last few days, Patrick Kilty, because he hasn't, you know, people are kind of saying, why don't you just tell us what it is? And then people's minds start to wander totally naturally, honestly. But anyway, he had a statement today. He released it just before the Public Accounts Committee went into session and he said effectively he's going to be paid €250,000 per season. Uh, for 30 shows, uh, 30 shows in a season. He said if there are additional shows requested by RTE, they'll be paid on a pro rata basis. Uh, he gave a bit of extra detail. He said he's also receiving a one-off payment of €20,000 to cover pre-production rehearsals, basically from now till September when the show starts. Um, and that his contract also had a provision allowing him to uh, claim for flight and accommodation expenses, but he waived that. And we heard in the committee that the value of that was anywhere up to 50 grand, I think. Um, And then he also threw in for good measure that he asked RTE to carbon offset his flights. I don't know why I laughed at that line, but I did.
0: If you had three questions that you felt were not answered in this exhaustive day in the Ouroch, this in the PAC committee and the day before, what would those three questions be? So the first question
2: would be, who came up with the idea to label these 75,000 euro payments uh, as consultancy fees in the invoices when that's not, as we know now, that's not what they were. We we don't have that answer and I think that that is vitally, vitally important in getting to the bottom of what happened here. Um, secondly, I think this is really important part. What happened to Ryan Toberty's earnings in those years between 2019 uh, uh, before that and in around that time effectively because we know that there were um extra payments but we actually still don't know the detail of it there's still a lot of confusion we know it's subject to an, another grant thornton review at the moment um and you know orty have kind of tried to answer a couple of questions about them um but like we say we're still kind of in the dark about how those overpayments how did they come to be Uh, what exact form did they take? So that would be my second question. I think we'll see a lot of um, questions around that over the next couple of days. And then thirdly, I think my question would be transparency around the barter account. Firstly, identify exactly what their understanding of the barter account is, um, what exactly they used it for. um, And, you know, is there any substance to the claim made by Colin Brophy that it is a slush fund? Is there anything... Are there any governance financial um, weaknesses there? Um, Because it doesn't look great from the outside. And they'd be my three questions. The consultancy fee statement, um, the previous earnings subject to the Grant Thornton report and details around the barter account.
0: Jennifer Bray, thanks very much. That's it for today, but not for the Ryan Tubbergy secret payment scandal. To follow the fallout, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.